20. And uh, while you're turning there, um, I, I just want to just, just encourage every one of you, the pressure that you feel and the, the challenges uh, that you're, you're facing uh, here. And uh, it's not just... It's not just you that's here. There are others that are not here tonight that are facing uh, some pretty uh, challenging things in your life. Uh, I want you to know this, that, that some, not all, uh, but some of the challenges that you're facing, they are spiritual in nature and uh, that you are in a spiritual battle. And uh, sometimes we forget that. And um, I was... You all right, Brother Robert? Come on. Come on, brother. You good? You good, sir? Okay, buddy. Long time. Okay. All right. Long time. But we, um, uh, this weekend I went to uh, Florence up in the northwest <clears throat> corner and um, of Alabama. And I was about two miles from the Tennessee line, so I was tucked off up there, pretty, pretty way up there. And um, there's a lot of pastors that showed up at that anniversary service, and so I had an opportunity to mix and mingle uh, with some of those. And uh, if it's any consolation to you, uh, every one of those pastors that I talked to uh, under an incredible amount of pressure and uh, people in their churches are experiencing that same uh, sort of thing. And, uh, and we, we're at the end. And I know that, uh, that you sometimes may think, I, I wish they quit saying that. I wish they would, you know, but, but we are. We're at the end. And the closer that you get to the end, the more that the pressure is going to be ratcheted up. And uh, that's just going to call for us to pray and to fast. And I do appreciate, I have, have found out a number of people here uh, in our congregation uh, from that message here Sunday night a week ago um, that you did spend some time fasting. And uh, it certainly is going to help uh, what takes place in, in the church at the same time and I think I may have mentioned this while I was teaching, preaching, whatever it was I was doing. Uh, that that you're when you start when you start kind of moving up, uh, there's going to be spiritual opposition that's going to face you, and you can do one of two things: you can either back down from it, or, or you can press forward. And I'll never forget. And this man is an elder now; he's he's well into his eighties, and. Uh, I remember he told me a story. It's been probably 15 years ago now, and uh, he was pastoring in a, a area uh, up in the northeast, and uh, he said the Lord started calling him toward doing some things, and uh, he responded to that, and uh, as he started moving forward, there started to be a lot of opposition uh, to him, and uh, he was in tears when he was talking to me about this, uh, he said, I backed down, and he said, I resigned that church, and he said, I left that church. And he said, I, he said, I looked back, and he said, of course, the Lord helped me uh, to, to kind of have a mid-course correction. 
Uh, he said, but, but there's an awareness in my own heart and spirit now. Uh, he said that, that I wonder uh, what, what could God have done if I would have just buckled down and said, I'm going to pay the price no matter what it costs me. And I, I think that's probably an object lesson for probably all of us here tonight, that there's times where uh, that you may get to a certain point and you start facing opposition and you can, you can, you can back down, dial it back, whatever you want to do. Uh, but, but listen, church, our, the most important part, and I've already got uh, our next lesson is going to be about heaven uh, next Wednesday night. Uh, and, and so it's kind of fresh on my mind because I've been working on it some. And, uh, but the most important thing that we have in this life is for us to hear the Lord say, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. That, that is the most important thing in, in your life. And uh, there will come a day, uh, and I believe this will be in the afterlife whenever we get to heaven, uh, that the Lord is going to show us and he's going to explain to us Romans 8, 28. He's going to show us why that everything that we felt a challenge in our life, he's going to show it. He's going to show it. He was going to say, this, this is my purpose, and it was being worked out. Uh, you may have felt uncomfortable. You may have felt discouraged. You may have felt weary uh, while you were doing that, but all things work together for good. And uh, we've got to keep that in the forefront of our mind. Uh, that, that the Lord is, is working actively in our behalf. And I just want to say this again. You've heard me say this before, but the Lord is working harder to save you than you're working to save yourself. And I promise you that. And yet we have to be faithful uh, to the call and the purpose of God. So, uh, and I appreciate I watched our service, our live stream Sunday night. I was coming, it was a little bit north of Birmingham uh, about the time that y'all started. And so I, I appreciate the spirit, the music, the service, Brother Jonathan's preaching uh, Sunday night, and I'm thankful uh, that that, has, uh, that that has has taken place. Now, uh, I do have a few more obligations, and they're increasing, and um, I, I know some of you want me to stay around here and, uh, and so forth. Uh, but I feel like these opportunities are, are if any time that I get an opportunity to help preachers and pastors, uh, because some of them are calling me and not want me just to come to their church and preach. Uh, they want me to come in and just kind of help them uh, with some things that I do personally. And I want to do everything I can uh, to help them. And at the same time, it's good for our church because what we're doing is we're developing leaders, we're developing people uh, that that whatever God has called you to do, it gives you an opportunity to step up and uh, to do and to fulfill uh, the will and, and the purpose of God. But it does feel good for me to come back and some of y'all tell me I need to fill out a visitor's card and that you need me to stay home and not, not be going. Uh, I, I will say that I, I am thankful for that. And uh, so I appreciate that, Brother Josh. And um, <clears throat> so let's let's look at Revelation chapter twenty, and um, I want to. We spent some time. We've talked about uh, that matter of the millennium and uh, that thousand year uh, reign, 
um, of of the Lord Jesus Christ. I tell you what, we we got through a lot of that. So let's let's start. Actually, let's kind of pick up. If you've got your notes there, I'm starting there at the bottom uh, of page 94, and we got to the part uh, there where Ezekiel chapter 40 uh, through 48 talks about an incredible time uh, that the existence of the temple that the Lord is going to provide during that thousand-year reign. And uh, we'll get into a little bit more uh, of that, but let's, let's look in our Bibles in, in Ezekiel chapter 37. Uh, the Bible uh, is, is prophetic. It's a promise uh, that, or a prophecy, rather, that, that is spoken of. Look there in uh, verse 37. Uh, 37, look at verse 26, and uh, here is what Ezekiel sees. He's under uh, the word of the Lord, or the Lord is telling him to speak this. Uh, but he says there, Ezekiel 37, 26, Moreover, I will make a covenant of peace with them. It shall be an everlasting covenant with them, and I will place them and multiply them and will set my sanctuary in the midst of them forevermore. My tabernacle also shall be with them. Yea, I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And the heathen shall know that I, the Lord, do sanctify Israel when my sanctuary shall be in the midst of them forevermore. And uh, Ezekiel is pointing out, he's saying that there is going to be a literal physical temple uh, that's going to sit right there in uh, that city of, uh, of Jerusalem. Now, if you turn over a few pages, and it's uh, Ezekiel 38, 39, um, is, uh, is full of prophetic events as to what uh, is going to take place at a future point. And again, I, I want to uh, encourage you, uh, if you don't have the, the app, the Telegram app, uh, and I know I may be speaking in Chinese or uh, Greek. Some of y'all that don't, you're not tech savvy, uh, but you ought to download the Telegram app and you ought to follow a fellow by the name of Amir Sarfati, and uh, he is a he is an is he is a a um, he he lives in Israel. He actually lives in Galilee. Uh, was a former military uh, agent, and his uh, feed, I think that's what they call it on Telegram, uh, is not censored, and there is a lot of news that you're not hearing about from our mainstream media. And uh, there is a lot that's going on with China and Taiwan there is a lot that's going on with Russia and Iran and Turkey. Uh, there is a lot that is going on uh, between uh, the Palestinians and Israel. 1,100 missiles were fired off at Israel uh, the other day. And uh, so there is a lot of, I mean, that place is like a boiling point right now. And yet you're not seeing much of that here in our media. You're, you're hearing about various other things, and it's kind of got your eye off the ball. Yeah, he said only and the, the ball is on uh, the Middle East. 
and, and Ezekiel talks about this stuff that is taking place. And even in Ukraine, uh, Russia is pressing forward in that. And uh, on, on Amir Sarfati, he's, he, he's very much uh, in tune. He's got connections. I don't know where he gets them at, uh, but it's on the inside other news agencies that are actually covering that. And so there are a lot of things that's taking place. And if you're not careful, I was looking uh, at some of it on Monday. And uh, you, can get, you can get fearful, and yet we shouldn't get fearful. Uh, we should just know that this is Scripture unfolding, and, and the Lord is, is we, we, are, we are at the end. And so, anyways, get back on track here. So, so Ezekiel prophesies and talks about this matter uh, of this millennial temple that is going uh, to take place, and it's going to be there. Now, now why uh, does he spend so much time and space? Because he starts in chapter 40, and all the way through the rest of his book, 48, he spends a lot of time describing uh, this temple and what's going to take place during uh, the millennium. Now, now, why would he do that? Well, first of all, is because that sanctuary uh, even in, in the, the old days was a visible symbol of God's presence so that whenever they looked at the temple, then they thought and they understood that that is where that the presence of, of the Lord uh, literally is at. And then if you remember starting in Ezekiel chapter 8 and then through chapter 11, uh, it, it's a scary story. It talks about corrupt worship uh, that gets infected with all sorts of idols. You remember he told him to, to put a hole in the wall and to look through the inside the temple at what all was going on uh, inside of there. There was all sorts of corruption from other uh, gods that they were worshiping. The priesthood uh, had, had defaulted in what they were supposed to be doing. And then in the midst of, of every bit of that, uh, the Bible tells us that the glory of the Lord began to depart and it left. And that's, a, that's a, again, a troubling thought for the glory of the Lord to leave that place. Now, I'm just going to say that the glory of the Lord can leave um, that, it left that physical temple, but the glory of the Lord can leave churches it can leave individual lives, and yet here's what man does. They built another temple and repaired it, and then despite the fact that the glory of the Lord had kind of departed from that, they still were just kind of going through the motions. And then you get to that gap between Malachi and Matthew, 400 years of silence, and then all of a sudden the Lord shows up and he's there, and he gets to the temple, and the Pharisees, Sadducees, the scribes, the priests are still doing everything. They're just kind of in a, a business-as-usual mode, and yet there's no real glory that is in that temple. And then, of course, the day of Pentecost, Acts 2, the church uh, starts kind of as a, as a separate aspect. We'll get to some of that here uh, in just a few minutes. But, but what, I, what I'm just trying to point out here tonight is the fact is that the glory of God has to be guarded in this church 
and it's got to be guarded in our lives individually. And trust me, there are all sorts of things that are trying to encroach and get into your life, trying to get into my life. And uh, I, I did meet a, a pastor, and I, and I felt like the Lord sent this man to talk to me and speak to me. And uh, Brother Phil Dupriest uh, pastored up in pastor. He did pastor. He's retired now, uh, Murfreesboro, Tennessee. And uh, he... Uh, came in that morning, he's Brother Stewart's pastor, and so he was there uh, for the services there Sunday. He started talking to me even before the service started, and then at the end, after everything was over, come up to me and he said, I feel like the Lord uh, has sent me here to say some things to you. They were very positive things that he said, but at the same time, what he was talking about was guarding the glory of God in a local church. And we have to do that here, church. You've, we've got to do that. We can't let our prayer lives go dead. We can't let ourselves become prayerless. Uh, holiness matters, and that's what he told me. He said, I'm just going to tell you. He said, I feel like the Lord strongly impressed on me to tell you that we never lost anybody out of our church over issues of holiness. He said, if they did walk away from our church, he said, I just felt like we didn't need them. And I don't want to be caustic and, and, and whatever about that, but I'm just telling you, holiness and separation from the world is crucial in our time and in our hour. Our church, we need to live holy and godly and separated lives, and you've got to be vigilant about it. You've got to be on your P's and Q's because the enemy wants to do everything he can to slip in uh, to your lives. And so, so I would again say that this sanctuary, in, uh, that because that sanctuary was a visible symbol of God's presence, that, that it had gotten away and uh, that they were just kind of going through the motions. And then the new temple is going to become a visible symbol that God has restored his relationship with Israel. Now, I want you to turn over to Ezekiel chapter 43, and I want us uh, to look at verses 1 through 5. Here is what uh, Ezekiel writes. Uh, he says, Ezekiel 43, and one afterward he bought, brought me to the gate, even the gate that looketh toward the east, and behold, the glory of the God of Israel came from the way of the east, and his voice was like the noise of many waters. Does that prompt you on anything? Anybody remember? What, what does that, what does that, he's, he's seeing something. What, what does that prompt you of? Y'all talk to me. Throw Okay, I'm looking for something else. The voice of many waters. You remember in Revelation chapter 1, whenever John sees his initial, he starts seeing this vision, and that was one of the things that whenever he began to see the glory and the power of God, that it was like a voice of many waters. Something very powerful about that. If you've ever been to a waterfall, and you heard that water, I mean, I'm talking about a big waterfall, not, not some of these trickles like we've got around in our area, but I mean a sure enough waterfall, 
and you hear that water boiling over that and dropping down several hundred feet and then uh, foaming up down in the bottom and all that mist and all that spray, you realize there just looking at that that there is a great power that, that can be, if it can be harnessed, then it can accomplish a whole, a whole lot. And so, so Ezekiel sees very much, very similar, that when the glory of God comes into that temple there in verse 2, that you see a lot of what uh, took place there in Revelation chapter 1. And it was according to the appearance of the vision which I saw, even according to the vision that I saw when I came to destroy the city, and the visions were like the vision that I saw by the river Chebar, and I fell upon my face. I will say this. You get in the glory of God, there's going to be a reverence that comes into your spirit. When God makes presentation in our lives, now forgive me, but that's why I'm skeptical sometimes of these people that say they see angels. And it's like, oh yeah, I saw, I saw an angel. And they talk about it like this, they saw Casper the friendly ghost. Okay, I'm just telling you now, if I see an angel, I, I'm gonna be down on my face and I'm not gonna be worshiping him, but there will be, because do you understand this? Angels traffic in and out of the presence of the Lord. And the presence of God is very powerful. And I can't just say, oh, oh yeah, yeah, I saw, I saw an angel. And, but I'm just telling you, if there's, there's that presence of God. And Ezekiel was like that. He said, I saw the glory of the Lord. Now you say, okay, well, I got you over a barrel. No, you don't. I do know that the Hebrews, letter to the Hebrews says that they can be ministering spirits and you can sometimes entertain angels unaware, but you don't know that they're angels. And I do believe that there are people that run into, in fact, my brother several years ago, uh, very much so, I believe that there was an appearance of an angel to him, but he didn't know it. And a man walked, total stranger, come up to him, started talking to him about some things that was going on uh, there in the church and uh, he was dumbfounded. He was just like totally blown away. And then he was in a department store. And then he went trying to track, went and told his wife, told Stephanie. And, and uh, then they start scurrying around trying to find the person and he's gone. There are presentations like that. But I'm just saying that I read the word and I think there's patterns in that. That when you get in the presence of the Lord and you feel the glory of God, that there is a reverence that comes in your spirit. You're like, Lord, I'm thankful that you visited me like you have. I don't deserve this, but I feel the presence of the Lord. And then he says there, verse four, and the glory of the Lord came into the house by the way of the gate whose prospect is toward the east or its opening is toward the east. And so the Spirit took me up and brought me into the inner court, and behold, the glory of the Lord filled the house. Now he's talking about that millennial temple that is there in Jerusalem to observe it and to watch it, and yet here he is, he's prophesying something in 574 B.C., almost six centuries before the Lord comes. So he's seeing something now that is 2,600 years old, and the Lord is showing him this, 
And it still is yet to be fulfilled, but it's, but it's coming. Yeah. Now, I'm going to float this out here. Just, this is just my own musings. Some of the missiles that were shot from uh, Gaza, uh, they, went, they were misfired. Some of them went in the wrong direction because apparently these terrorists didn't know how to get all of their uh, riggings and coordinates and all that figured out. So what happened, and they got missiles that went into neighborhoods and killed like 25 children. And it got the Palestinians in an uproar. And whenever I saw those missiles going off in, and they were high, in a high-rise area, and I mean, it took the building down. And so just in my surmisings, I thought, you know what? Wouldn't it be something if they shot a missile and it hit the dome of the rock and totally annihilated that because they do say that that mosque is sitting on top of where Solomon's temple was at. And just in my own musings, I don't know, I'm just putting it out there, is that, that we know that there's got to be a clearance for a temple to be built. And if those terrorists accidentally misfire and then it totally levels that place. You can count on it that, that Israel will immediately move in to that place and I'm told that they've got everything they need to put that temple up and get it rolling. And so I do believe that that potential possibility, and again, that, that's just my imagination probably working overtime and, and so forth. But you see that, that that new temple is gonna be a visible symbol uh, that God has restored his relationship back uh, with Israel. Now, I've got a, a picture there for you there at the, on page 95 uh, of what that uh, millennial temple is going to look like. Now, again, uh, it's very uh, compacted, but in, a, in Ezekiel chapter 45, it says it's 25,000 cubits by 25,000 cubits which means that it's going to sit on a place that's going to be seven, it's actually a little over seven miles, 7.12 something miles by 7.12 something miles. And, and here's the thing, those, those worshipers, those millennial worshipers during that period of time, they're going to be around that seven by seven mile uh, temple and they're going to be worshiping the Lord. And it's gonna, it's gonna be, it's gonna be absolutely uh, incredible. And I, uh, I want you to turn back with me to Ezekiel chapter forty, and let's look at verse thirty-eight. Uh, Ezekiel chapter forty and verse thirty-eight. Here uh, is just one of the the descriptions that that comes out, and uh, here's what Ezekiel writes. He said, "In the chambers." And the entries thereof were by the post of the gates where they washed the burnt offering. And in the porch of the gate were two tables on this side and two tables on that side to slay thereon the burnt offering and the sin offering and the trespass offering. And at the side without, as one goeth up to the entry of the north gate, there were two tables. And then on the other side, which is at the porch of the gate, there were two tables. Four tables were on this side, four tables on that side. By the side of the gate, eight tables whereupon they slew the sacrifices. 
and the four tables were of hewn stone for the burnt offering of a and that there is a key part right there. The tables were a burnt or were of hewn stone uh, for the burnt offering. That's significant. That's something that's attached back uh, into the book of Exodus, and you can kind of sort that out. It's incredibly interesting when you start looking at, and it has to do with holiness. And so when you start looking at these stone altars that the Lord wanted, uh, there, there's something that's, that is to that. And then he says, And a cubit and a half broad and one cubit high, whereupon also they laid the instruments whereof they slew the burnt offering and the sacrifice. And within were hooks and a hand broad fastened round about. And upon the tables was the flesh of the offering. See if I need to keep reading. Let me look at my verse reference. That's good enough through that verse 43 there. Now, the sacrifices were prepped on these tables. Now, there are some scholars that feel like, well, this is just symbolic, that this was not really uh, sacrifices that were taking place uh, because they say it reverts us back, the reverts the worshipers back to a Levitical sacrificial system. And, and so you can say, well, it's symbolic. However, I believe that it is physical in the fact that animal sacrifices, if you understand them as they're laid out in the Old Testament, laid out for you in the book of Exodus kind of briefly, and then it really gets into it in the book of Leviticus when it starts talking about the nature of those sacrifices. But you remember that those sacrifices themselves, they never took away the sin of the people. They only rolled it forward. You remember that? It didn't, it didn't take it away. It only rolled it forward. So the only thing that could take away the sin of man was the cross and what we know as the atonement, or if you want to use some fancy theological terms, substitutionary atonement, or you could even use another word, propitiation. Those are, those are words that, that we could use. And, and again, I, I'm not trying to be smart. I'm not trying to they, oh man, look at how smart. I'm not, I, these are Bible words and I believe that we ought to know something about those words. And so, so the cross uh, really only, only rolled them back. The atonement had the ability to remove sin. Let's look at Hebrews chapter 10 and let's begin there in verse four. Hebrews chapter 10, remember Hebrews James, first and second Peter. Look at Hebrews chapter 10 and look in verse one. Here's what the Bible says. It says, for the law, having a shadow of good things to come and not the very image of the things, they can never with those sacrifices which they offered year by year continually make the comers or the worshipers thereunto perfect. For then would they not have ceased to be offered because that the, because that the worshipers once purged should have had no more conscience of sins. But in those sacrifices, there is a remembrance again made of sins every year. 
For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and of goats should take away sins. Now look at verse 10. The Bible says there, by the which will we are sanctified. How? Through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. And so there is that part there where that, uh, that the offering on the cross is what took care and covered our sins. So the difference between, between the Old Testament plan of salvation, if you want to call it that, is those sins were never forgotten. They were just rolled forward. And then as New Testament believers, when you're born again, here's what you bring it up. And the enemy comes around. The Bible says he's an accuser of the brethren, which works with condemnation to try to squeeze you down, to try to make you <coughs> remember all of the bad things that you did way back whenever it was. And when you start scratching around and you're like telling the Lord, now Lord, you know, I'm, I'm dealing with this that I said back in 1986 or in the 90s or whenever. And the Lord's like, I, I don't, I'm not sure, I don't know what you're talking about. Why? It's because our sin is as, if, as far as the east from the west. And it's like that old, I think there's a southern gospel song, what sin are you talking about? And, and so that's where we're not under the economy of that Levitical priesthood system where that they were offering those sacrifices. So there were physical sacri animal sacrifices uh, that were being offered there. So, so we would just say that what were they being done for? They were being done as a matter of remembrance. It was a, it was a matter of, of remembrance. Now, there's a second thing that I want to uh, point out to you, and that's this. Even after the church began, turn back uh, to Acts chapter 2. Even after uh, the church was born in Acts chapter 2, uh, we, find, we find some things that were taking place. Look with me to Acts chapter 2, and let's look at verse 46. Here's what the Bible says. Acts chapter 2 and verse 46, it says, And they continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart. Now look down to chapter 3 and look at verse 1. The Bible says there, Now Peter and John went up together into the temple at the hour of prayer being the ninth hour. Turn over a page or so and look at chapter 5 and look in verse 42. Here's what the Bible says. And daily in the temple and in every house they cease not to teach and preach Jesus Christ. And then turn uh, on over to Acts chapter 21 and here is where uh, that we can look. Acts chapter 21 and look with me to verse 26. And so the Bible says there, then Paul took the men and the next day, purifying himself with them, entered into the temple to, to signify the accomplishment of the days of purification until that an offering should be offered for every one of them. So even that New Testament church, they were still somewhat going through some of the dynamics, but it was not locked into law, what they were doing was they were just 
saying we're, we're doing this in remembrance or in honor of what the Lord Jesus Christ has done. Now you say, well, how do you know that? It was when you look to the letter to the Galatians. John, Paul, Justin, they're working their way through Galatians right now. It's a matter of the law. And so what does Paul do? Paul comes along and he tells them all these ceremonies, all these rites, all these sacrifices that you're trying to resurrect, which were the Judaizers, he was saying, look, none of that is going to be able to save you. And yet we see in the book of Acts that they actually were practicing some of those some of those things that they were doing and that's going to be taking place in the millennial temple. Why? In honor of the Lord Jesus Christ. So what does that tell me? That tells me that everything that we do ought to be motivated toward worship. Now let me cinch it up a little bit. Brother Josh, when you're cutting a yard and he's a perfectionist, y'all. Okay, I'm, I'm in here late I'm going to tell them, Brother Josh, y'all need to pray a blessing on him. I'm in here late sometimes on Saturday nights, 1130, 12 o'clock, 1215, and uh, several weeks ago, I hear, like, what in the world is that? And I look out there, and Brother Josh out there blowing off the parking lot, running a weed eater, and, uh, and what's that, Brother Josh? Loose, okay. And so... So, but, but here's what I'm getting at, okay? Do you realize that the things that you do at your job really is an act of worship? And if you are an excellent employee, then I believe that that, that, that should honor God. So y'all laughing about that. Tell me, Sister Kayla, after church, what y'all... Okay, but every IV y'all start, okay, every patient you take care of, um, especially oh Lord I'm about to confess something that this was all done as an act of worship but years ago there used to be a drug called Thorazine and uh, they would give it for nausea and if you had patients that were combative and out of their minds and acting crazy then you could say you know I think that patient over there is nauseated don't you think that patient's nauseated and we get, we get that medicine and we go give that medicine to them at night. Next thing you know, they were just calm as they could be. And uh, that was an act of worship. We were worshiping so that they could relax and, and all that. So I should move on. And, but but do, you, do you realize that? Everything that you do, no matter what it is, and I believe that, that sometimes that, that our sloppiness at our jobs sometimes can put a bad reflection on, on Christians and on believers. I, I believe that we, ought to, that we ought to do work with excellence. I think that you ought to be the person in your job area that they go to and they say that person's a resource person. That person is somebody that knows what they're doing because your lifestyle honors God uh, with your, your job. So, uh, again, just want to just kind of impress that on you that that everything that we do is an act of worship. And so whenever they were offering these sacrifices or that they will be offering these sacrifices here uh, in the millennial temple, uh, that, that again, that it's a very positive thing in the fact that they're looking and they're saying we're looking at what the Lord Jesus Christ 
uh, has done for us. So in Ezekiel 45, seven by seven miles, saints will be encamped around it. Uh, they're going to gather from all over the world, and they're going to be coming. Why are they coming there? To gain the knowledge of the Lord and to offer and to honor the sacrifices that will be reconvened in that area. Ezekiel 46, in the millennium, biblical feast, holidays are going to be restored back again. Ezekiel 47, the river flowing from the temple, uh, talks about again the division of the land. And in Ezekiel 48, it speaks to that matter of the placement of the tribes. Now, the millennium is present in more than 41 chapters in the Bible. I want us to look at some of those here. And this is going to be kind of strange, you, th you, you may think, but look back. I want you to look to 2 Samuel uh, chapter 7. Uh, 2 Samuel chapter 7, and that is kind of in, in the prime of David's, he's not quite to the prime of his, his leadership yet. Uh, he almost is. The scary part is in 2 Samuel chapter 11, David is at the prime of his leadership, and that's when he makes the most horrible mistake of his life. And that's whenever he got caught up with the matter of, the Bible says with the matter of Uriah and so again if you have success in your life be careful because successful moments in life can be some of the most slippery places that you have so if you've got conflict and challenge and difficulty going on in your life right now be careful that you don't curse it and be careful that you don't Pray for the Lord to immediately get you out of that particular situation. Because I'm going to tell you this, most of my spiritual growth has taken place when I was under pressure. Not when you're experiencing success, not when everything is just going fantastic and it's like, hey, man, it's awesome. We're going to go home and we're going to pop popcorn and we're going to read books and we're going to drink Diet Dr. Peppers and we're just going to have a great time and so on and so forth, okay? Be careful when you get to a place where that you feel like that God is smiling on you and that you're at a place of success. And that's what happened to David, but that's not what we need to be talking about. So let's look at 2 Samuel. Look at 2 Samuel. I want to read to you starting in verse 12. And here's what the Bible has to say. And when thy days be fulfilled... And thou shalt sleep with thy fathers. I will set up thy seed after thee, which shall proceed out of thy bowels, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build an house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father, and he shall be my son. And if he commit iniquity, I will chasten him with the rod of men and with the stripes of the children of men. But my mercy shall not depart away from him as I took it from Saul, whom I put away before thee. And thine house, now here's where we kick in toward the millennium, and thine house and thy kingdom shall be established forever before thee. Thy throne shall be established forever according to all these words and according to all this vision, so did Nathan speak unto David. Now, I want to just throw this out here. 
all these politicians. And sometimes when I start thinking about Washington, D.C., I just think it's just a den of rattlers. And it doesn't matter which side of the aisle that they're on. You think these are some of the most corrupt individuals. And just know this, and I told my wife this the other night, some of those, some of those people up there right now, they're all actors. And they're pawns of the devil. That's what they are. They're, they're just chess pieces that the devil is moving in and out. And it won't be long. I told, told my wife, I said, here's the part. Some of those people right now, within five to ten years, they are going to stand before the Lord. And they think they're getting away with all they're getting away with. They think they're locking down on this nation and controlling the world and et cetera. Think about Joseph Stalin responsible get get this in your mind now okay a hundred million Russians that he killed now we think about Hitler Hitler six million Jews in the Holocaust six millions a drop in the bucket to a hundred million Russians and yet keep this in mind Joseph Stalin he's dead he died sometime in the 50s, I think it was. He, stood, he, he has already stood before the Lord. He has answered for his sins. I believe he's like the rich man, Luke 16. I believe he's already in Hades. But he's not in the, he's not in the lake of fire yet, but he will be put into the lake of fire. That's what these people are missing. These people are missing the fact that there's coming a day that they're going to answer for what they've done. And so whenever I read, this is awesome, verse 16, and thine house and thy kingdom shall be established forever before thee. Thy throne shall be established forever. Now think about this. That's the plan of the Lord. And it's going to take place. That, there will be a millennial temple there will be a throne there in Jerusalem and the Lord Jesus Christ will rule from that throne. And so none of the enemy's tactics right now, nothing he's doing. And we look at it sometimes, we think evil's got the upper hand. Evil's prevailing. And here's the part. See, we're working on time. God Time means nothing to God. God. God works by eternity. So what is time to him? It's just a drop in the bucket. And there's coming a day that his purpose is going to be worked out. And I believe that right now that you're here and there's a purpose of God that is on your life. There's a purpose of God that's on my life. Now, here's what's starting to happen to me is I feel like I'm racing the clock. I can't imagine some of you elders that are 20 and 30 years older than I am, okay? But I, I'm feeling it now. I'm feeling the pressure. It's like time is no longer... I'm not picking on you, Brother Pierce. Uh, but, but I do. I feel the time pressure. And, and for you, you 20s and 30-somethings, I want you all to feel the pressure too. Okay? Because I want you to make your life count for the Lord. There's a purpose that God has established for every single one of us. And what I've got to do 
is do my best to pray for you, to convict you, to encourage you, to inspire you to do what the Lord has called you to do. That, that's, what I, that's what I need to do. Now, let's look at a couple more places. Let's, let's look at Psalm um, 89, and the clock's running. I got nine minutes. Psalm 89, and let's look at verse 34. And again, these are things that speaks of the matter of the millennium. Psalm 89, look at verse 34. The Bible says there, my covenant will I, will I not break nor alter the thing that is gone out of my lips. Once I have sworn by my holiness, that, will not, that I will not lie unto David. His seed shall endure forever and his throne as the sun before me. And it shall be established forever as the moon and as a faithful witness in heaven, Selah. Now I've got some of those other that's listed out there for you on page 96, but let's look at the one that's promised uh, to Mary. Turn with me uh, to Luke chapter 22. Luke chapter 22, and, and again, now these, these are promises uh, of the Lord that's coming to Mary. Luke chapter 22, look in verse uh, 29. Here's what uh, the Lord has to say. He says, And I appoint unto you a kingdom, as my Father hath appointed unto me, that ye may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel. Now, I got some homework for you. There was a message that Brother Anthony Mangan preached that because of the times, I can't believe this, but it was in 2000. That's 22, 22 years ago. And it's called the Cup of Redemption. You, you need to look that up. It's on YouTube. It's on the BOTT channel. And um, and when I was putting this, when I was reading these scriptures here, and especially this one right here prompted uh, me to that. I thought about that message that he preached because of the times in 2000. And uh, you, ought, you ought to track that message down. I think it's probably a little over an hour and uh, very encouraging, very convicting as well. For those of you that have heard Brother uh, Mangan preach before, you know, you know how he preaches. Uh, but you ought, to, you ought to just track that message down. And, uh, and that's why I thank God for some technology. It's not all bad. Uh, and so, so check that out, the cup of redemption. Uh, Brother Anthony Mangan, because of the times, 2000. And, uh, and, and it, it talks about these, gets into this part about uh, the millennium and, and so on and so forth. So uh, now here are just some points that I'm just going to kind of hit real quick before we're done uh, here tonight. Creation has changed during the millennium. There are physical changes that have, have taken place uh, during the millennium. And so I want you to turn back with me to Zechariah uh, chapter 4 and look at verses 9 and 10. I'm not going to read the reference there uh, in Isaiah because I think we read that last Wednesday night. But in Zechariah chapter 4, I want you to look in verse 9. 
And this is talking about how that creation has changed in the millennium. There's going to be physical changes that are made. And it says, The hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this house. His hands shall also finish it, and thou shalt know that the Lord of hosts hath sent me unto you. For who hath despised the day of small things? For they shall rejoice and shall see the plummet in the hand of Zerubbabel with those seven, and they are the eyes of the Lord which run to and fro through the whole earth. Now, what in the world does creation change in that? Well, we, we preach from that first question there a lot of times. Who hath despised the day of small things? And yet here's what the Lord's getting at. The Lord is getting at this temple but that Zerubbabel has built pales in comparison to, to the one that's coming. But yet don't despise the day of small things. This physical temple that you see right now, don't despise it because there's coming a day whenever those small things help stack up and build up to the greater things. And I pray that your spiritual life is like that. I pray that your prayers have more depth to them than what they did 30 years ago, 20 years ago, 10 years ago, even last year. I pray that there's been a maturity that's come to your prayer life and there is a distinct difference that you can say, yeah, my prayer used to be God is great, God is good, let us thank him for our food, you know, and so forth. Or now lay me down to sleep. Help me, Brother Abersole. There's another part of that prayer. I didn't know that until Brother Abersole told me here. I didn't know that last part. And the last time I said that, Brother Abersole come up. And no, we look at that and we think, man, that's elementary praying. You, if, you're, if you're still praying like that after you've been in the church for 30 years, 40 years, 20 years, 10 years, your, your prayers have not graduated too much. Or if your prayers are filled with vain repetitions, <laughs> uh, let me move on before I get in trouble. Okay? And so, but that's the day of small things. Build on that and let the Lord create a depth that adds to your life. The curse of sin is going to be lifted. Uh, creation is going to be redeemed. We've read Romans 8, 20, 22 uh, before. I won't read that here. Then the earth, you know this, the earth is full of the Lord. But we also have to understand that millennium is not eternity because death and sin are still present. Is just restrained. And each person still has land. That land is fruitful, but the peace of the millennium is going to be removed whenever the Lord unlooses Satan after he's been bound for a thousand years. And then he's going to have a very small time frame. And then during that time frame, he's going to torment this earth again. It's almost going to be like a second fall that took place in Genesis 3. And he's going to devastate this. And so for people that think that, that we're going to create a perfect environment, have perfect schools, 
uh, we're going to remove lawful restraints. They're trying to defund the police too early. Okay? You can defund law enforcement during the millennium, but you can't defund it now. Because one of the things, one of the functions of government that Scripture talks about is to reward those that do good and to punish those that, that are evildoers. The Bible talks about that. It talks about that in the book of Romans, and it also talks about that, I think it's in 1 Peter, where it talks about what's the role of government to reward those who do good and to punish those who do evil. But in the millennium, they will be able to defund the police. And uh, so let's stand, and uh, I hope you've got something out of this lesson here tonight. Go home and watch that, not tonight maybe, but sometime before Sunday. Uh, watch watch that, that message that Brother uh, Mangan preached, and uh, it was just an inspiring message. And uh, church, let's go to heaven. Let's go to heaven. We need to do everything we can to make sure that we go to heaven. I thank the Lord for what I felt here tonight, liberty. I, I thank the Lord for the singing tonight. Thank God for the, the prayer service. And uh, it's just been, just been a good Wednesday night, encouraging. And I thank the Lord for, for that. Let's, let's talk to the Lord. Lord, I'm thankful for your goodness in our lives. I'm thankful, Lord, for your word. I'm thankful, God, for, the, Lord, the fellowship that I have, Lord, felt, God, not only with your spirit, but with your word. And, God, even, Lord, with the church, the brothers and sisters in the house of the Lord. And I pray, God, tonight that, that somehow, Lord, that by your hand and by your spirit, that, Lord, that the things that we've heard, that they would, God, motivate us, Lord, toward greater works and that there would be a... God, a goodness that we would pursue in our lives. And Lord, at the same time, we know, God, that our world is shaken. We know, Lord, that there are things that are on the, the calendar, God, that, Lord, your, your purpose is going to be worked out. But help us, Jesus, to be faithful to what you have called us to do. And I pray, Lord, tonight that you go with us. Lord, go with us to our homes. Help us, God, to honor you, Lord, in everything that we do. And Jesus, I pray that you meet every need, God, that this church has. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen, amen. The Lord bless you, and uh, thank you for coming to church tonight, rally uh, Friday night, 7.30 in Eufaula, and then uh, leadership meeting, I think, Saturday afternoon, prayer Saturday night, we stay busy around here and then service Sunday and uh, the Lord bless you thank you for coming to church tonight